Hey everybody, this is David Creek, and we are so glad that you have checked out our podcast today. And for quite some time, I've been meaning to mention that we have a new website, and that new website is accessed at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. Well, we are in week four of our Advent series entitled Advent for the Poor. And we've been looking at the arrival of Jesus specifically through the lens and through the perspectives of the distressed, of the broken-spirited, as we, we read about them in the Gospel books as they encounter Jesus. And now we will get right to this week's teaching entitled, The Poor Become Rich. Man, it's great to be alive in Jesus this morning. It's great to know that, that you are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I, don't, I have no idea how you are, are, are this morning. And yet for me, this is a very happy time of the year. Because we are just a couple of days away from, from this. We, you know, a lot of times, a lot of us have in our minds conjured up images of, of a beautiful Christmas tree sparkling at night. And a mountain of gifts underneath a tree. I think a lot of us equate Christmas and and um, and especially this this week with Bing Crosby singing "I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas." Now, of course, knowing me, having lived in Arizona, Florida, I don't know what what a white Christmas is. I've never experienced that, and yet I do enjoy having a cool Christmas for for once in my life. This is brand new to me, and and I'm just enjoying this very much. And yet. Really, in terms of what I am, what I have the most gratitude and happiness and joy for this morning. As much as I love this, this is not what my mind is conjuring in this moment right now. Yet, rather, where my mind goes is to this. What I am most grateful for in this world is for, for all of those in this world who are impoverished, who live in poverty, and yet receive something. Well, in 2008, Amanda and I had gone to a place called Embato, Ecuador. It's maybe a couple hours, I believe, west of Quito, Ecuador. And one morning we were there at our hotel having breakfast. I had about three or four plates of breakfast that morning at a buffet. You know, that's what I do. And yet on the last plate, I couldn't quite eat all of it. We we're just about to leave this restaurant when from out of nowhere a young boy comes and he's got this knapsack on his back and I look and he has his kid um, he has a sister inside of his knapsack and then I look and he's got another young sister with him and as you can see in their faces this is the face of what it looks like to be poor they they were living in the streets they had absolutely nothing in this world other than, than what they were wearing. And right as we were expecting them to ask us for money, he reaches inside his knapsack and he has these, these very dirty containers, very old and dilapidated containers. And then rather than asking for money, he begins actually begging for our half-eaten eggs and toast. And as you can see on the right there, as I kneel there with them, I am choking back tears in that picture. And that's because of, of how ecstatic these children were to have our half-eaten breakfast. 
What was garbage to us was the feast of the year for these children. And what swept over me in this picture as well as ten years later is this truth. Is that the greater our need is and the greater that we are impoverished in this life, really the greater and the more gratitude we are going to have. Well, until just a year ago, I was driving a box truck and um, a forklift at a homeless ministry in Central Florida. And just about every year, all of the um, schools in this region had a, um, can or would have a food drive every year. And I'll never forget, maybe about maybe three or four years ago, I go to this one school and they give us two and a half tons worth of food. They filled that entire box truck all by themselves. But here's what is remarkable about these children. This is a school that was the very poorest in that entire region in all of Central Florida. And when I say poor, I mean these are children who go to a school largely made up of children who know what it's like to go without food multiple days a week. On a, for, for you know, all of their, their lives. But when this food drive had been announced to them, what was some obligatory rote act for, for almost everybody else and all these other schools who were very well off? For them, it was joy on earth. It was, we know what this feels like, and so we want to get excited about helping other people. And that's because, after all, the greater the poverty, the greater the gratitude. I heard a story about a baseball player whose name is Rene Arrocha. He is from Havana, Cuba. And I was very moved by a story about how he became an American citizen for the very first time. And the very first time that he walked inside a supermarket in Miami, Florida, where he goes inside and the doors magically open up all by themselves, it seems. He looks at the ground, and it's not a dirt floor, but it's a very nice tile floor. Cool air is inside. And as the story goes, Rene Rocha, as he walks inside a supermarket, his, um, his knees began to buckle, and he literally fell down about to actually pass out. As he was choking back all of these tears, looking at all of these aisles of food, and that's because he grew up with a fifth-grade education. His mother took him out of school in fifth grade, sent him out into the fields so that he could earn, earn money for them as just a nine-year-old boy. He remembered all of those years living in Cuba, stooping down, drinking muddy street water. And now all of a sudden he is here in the supermarket and he's like, it's as if he walked into heaven. And yet on a weekly basis, that trip to the supermarket for, for us, which is so boring and so mundane for him, for him, it was heaven on earth. And that's because the greater our need is, the greater our gratitude is when, when all of a sudden it is now right there in our hands. And the spirit of these people reminds me so much of these Christians that the Apostle Paul raves about in the book of 2 Corinthians. In his second letter to the church at Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1, he says this to them. He says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you what is the grace of God, 
which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. How in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in, in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability, and even beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. And they begged us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. As Paul identifies these Macedonian Christians as being poor, what this means in the original language is really is not poor, but it's absolute rock bottom impoverishment. These are Christians who very likely are now very likely homeless simply because they are Christians in a society where everybody is supposed to always say Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord and Caesar is God. But now we have this very small demographic known as Christians, Christ followers, who are saying, no, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. And for a lot of Christians, that has cost them everything that they had. Governing officials came into their homes and started seizing all of their possessions. Even in extreme cases, later on we know at least, if you said Jesus is Lord in this kind of hostile environment, you would not be allowed to even go inside a market and you could not buy any food for your family or for your children. And so the image that we need to have of these saints is something like this. I spent five years working specifically with, with homeless people in Florida. And there's just something that this will, will do for your soul if you are around this every single day, year after year after year. This, I mean, these Christians are hurting this much. And yet, isn't it remarkable, though, how the ones who everybody would expect would, would be the very least able to help out... Or the ones who needed help as much as the ones who they themselves had been helping. Really, of all of the people who have given, Paul singles out these Macedonians and he says, you need to be just like these guys. Because th that very moment as they heard that, that over in Jerusalem, there, there is a famine in Jerusalem many years. And there are brothers and sisters of ours in the Jerusalem church who, who are now going without food. We know what that feels like, and we want to do something about that. And we want to get excited about this. As it says in the text, that, that even though they are living in abject impoverishment and, and in a state of poverty, notice this very rare and this very strange attitude where he says abundance of joy. Joy overflowingly in their generosity. And their sentiment of heart seems to be, you know what, we might not have much money. We may not be able to eat on a day-to-day -day basis. And this world would have looked at them and said, you guys have absolutely nothing. And yet in the hearts of these Macedonian Christians living in poverty, they would have said, we have everything in this world. We may not have all of these, these things, oh, but we've got Jesus. And if we've got Jesus, that means we've got joy. And when we help out other people, especially those who are of the household of faith, it's not really them we're helping. It is Jesus who we are clothing and it's Jesus who we are feeding. 
You see, this is why I am so grateful for, for anybody who lives this way, who receives something, because what they show us is this is how we receive God's joys and God's favors in this world. They have opened up my eyes as much as anybody, really to the strange reality of this, is that I am a very rich man. You are very rich people. You know, if we just stop and consider how rich we really are, we are so rich that, that our dogs have their own supermarkets. I mean, just stop and think about this reality. Our dogs have a choice of supermarkets that they can go to. We are so rich that our storage closets and chambers are larger than the shanties most of the world's population call home. And our storage garages are just what we could not cram into our garages. And that was what we could not cram into our um, homes or into our spare rooms. We are so, so very rich. I mean, we are so rich. We have 98 versions of Cheerios to choose from at the store. 67 different variations of Oreos to choose from at the supermarket. We're so rich that, that we don't have to spend all of our energy walking four miles so that we could go to a well and draw enough water for just maybe two or three days. I mean, we don't even drink our tap water, which is piped into our house. That's just what we are going to bathe ourselves with. In fact, this is wrong. It, we are not rich, but we are filthy, stinking rich. That is how blessed we are to, to really live in this country. Well, in Scripture, we know that the Hebrews dreamed all of their lives of this land flowing with milk and honey. But our land of milk and honey makes their land of milk and honey look like a third world country. This country that I have lived so, so flippantly in all of my life, not realizing this is just how good that we have it. And yet for a lot of us, when we hear that word rich, the individual who comes to mind is this guy. He owns Amazon. His net worth is 160, not million, billion dollars. Jeff Bezos is worth. Jeff Bezos is so wealthy that at the last indication, he was making $15.7 million every single hour of the day. And that has changed ever since. It's even more so ever since that calculation. Jeff Bezos is so rich that, that $1 for us is $936,000 for this guy. He has so much money, he can burn money in his driveway. I mean, this guy is not rich. This guy is filthy, stinking, rotten rich. And yet so are we. So are we. We are so rich that if impoverished people from third world, from third world countries were to ride in any of our cars or to walk in any of our houses, they would look at us the way we look at Jeff Bezos. They would say, you are such... A wealthy person you must really really be grateful for this house and for this car and yet my response would have been well 
I'm not grateful for this. And yet I am now. When it comes to somebody who is impoverished, who receives something, really what jumps out at my mind the most is this clip in a movie called The Blind Side, where a young man, he has been homeless his entire life, and a woman welcomes him into her home. And this is what it's like as he steps inside his brand new room for the first time. Of those, of course, the frame was heinous. It's not about to let that in my house, but I got you something nicer. It's mine. Yes, sir. What? Never had one before. What a room to yourself. A bed. When you go from having absolutely nothing to having something even as simple as a bed, any kind of bed, it feels like you just had won the lottery. And yet as materialistically opulent as we are as Americans, there is a wealth that far transcends money and dollars and simple net worth. There is a net worth that we can take into every single day of our lives, even into our death. And that wealth is known as God's grace. God's grace is defined to us more or less by the undeserved gift of the lavish, generous kindness of the living God. And, and it's something that, that, that every single one of us have this morning. And yet I love the way how in the text, how the Apostle Paul elaborates on just exactly how we have received God's grace. As he says in verse 9, that, that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That even though he was rich, for your sake, he became poor so that you and I, through his poverty, we might become rich. Jesus was filthy, stinking rich. He was filthy, stinking rich, having created this entire world through him. He was rich in the sense that, that he had spent all of eternity in heaven. Until that one day, he, he decides, for whatever reason, that I'm going to leave this idyllic ecstasy of heaven. And I'm going to, of all places, come down into this muck, into here into this, this mire and into our mess and into our world of violence and hatred and sorrow. Jesus, as creator of all things, he could have chosen exactly how he would spend his life in this world. I mean, when he came down here, he could have come as a full-grown man. All of the angels in heaven, trumpets blazing. Everybody look, this is the King of Kings. This is Jesus Christ. He has come down to us. The King is here. The King is here. Jesus' life upon the earth could have been a papacy tour on crystal meth. Riding in royal chariots. Living as an imperial prince. 
dining on the most exotic of foods, dressing in the finest of clothing, living in the most luxurious of palaces. And yet he chose the polar opposite of that. Jesus chose to be impoverished. Jesus shows a form that we see in the world today of this man who's in the street and he's pushing a shopping cart barefoot, arguing with himself out loud. Jesus chose poverty of all things. He was born to a, to a young peasant girl who was a teenager. And he was born out of wedlock at that. Jesus spent the first year of his life on the run in Egypt, um, um, rather as a refugee. That's because the king was so outraged at his birth that he murdered an entire village of young infants. Of all things, Jesus chose a manger with animal snot and slobber as his big entrance into this world, as an infant. We know that Jesus was refused a room in the inn. We know that Jesus had one tunic in his entire wardrobe. As he said on one occasion, even foxes and birds had better sleeping arrangements than he did when he walked this earth. As creator, Jesus also got to choose exactly how he would look like. And when Jesus came, he could have made himself the absolute tallest, darkest, most handsomest person that anybody has ever seen on the face of this earth. And yet instead, what he chose was the absolute most grotesque, but ugliest face that anybody had ever seen in their entire lives. A face that the how Isaiah the prophet says, a face that, that men hid their faces from, and upon seeing it would recoil and look away. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet Jesus got down on his hands and knees and he washed the blackened feet of his own subjects and of his understudies. He chose absolute humiliation as his fame. Spat upon battered beyond identification, flogged 39 plus times. The only crown that he ever wore was conferred upon him by being gouged into his skull just before he was led away to be flogged by a cat of nine tails. Jesus lived in, in absolute third world poverty. And Jesus died in absolute third world poverty. As he died the death of a hardened criminal, the most hellishly nightmarish death that the Romans could conceive, morbidly showcased for all the world to see, now as a bludgeon carcass on a cross between two thieves. Jesus was filthy, stinking rich, and yet he chose to become abject poor, and he chose to be impoverished. And many people in the world, as well as even we ourselves, even though we know what the answer is, we, we still want to ask Jesus, why would anybody do that? I mean, you had it all in heaven. Why would you want to be I mean, this impoverished in this world? As Paul says in verse 9, he did this because through his poverty, through this life of poverty that he chose, he wanted us, of all people, to become rich. 
and to become spiritually opulent. And I mean, this sounds so ludicrous to us. There is someone who might say, I mean, what are you talking about, David? I'm not rich. I'm living check to check. I have a mountain of debt that is getting larger and larger by the hour, it seems like. Or maybe another person might say that, that I'm not rich because I wasn't able to get one single Christmas gift under our tree this year. Jeff Bezos is rich, and yet not me. I'm poor. I am impoverished in comparison to him. And yet here's what Jesus did as he comes down to this earth. Jesus had been born in that manger. Jesus showed us how to live a life that is in tune with his kingdom. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus walked out of that empty tomb so that he could turn a bunch of worthless, homeless winos like us into a bunch of Jeff Bezoses in Christ. This is what we are spiritually right here. I mean, he has taken us from the flat on our back in the mud to the stars in the penthouse sky. He has made us filthy, stinking rich. And I just want you to know that, that it does not matter what your net worth is, how, how big or how small it is in the bank. If you are a Christian, your net worth is in Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, it doesn't matter how many gifts you have underneath your Christmas tree. What matters is the gift that it hung on that tree for you and for me. I mean, in Jesus, we have hit the spiritual jackpot. I mean, wouldn't it be, be incredible if we were to win, win a lottery jackpot and all of a sudden we, we have a billion dollars or something? Jesus has already given us a zillion dollars in him. He's made us alive in him. Seated us with him in the heavenly places. Our every sin has been forgiven by his blood. We are beneficiaries of his kindness citizens of heaven, his adopted sons and his adopted daughters, our names written in the Lamb's book of life in the gates of heaven. He has made us the very dwelling place of his Holy Spirit. And he's promised us that, that one day he will give us an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, nor fade away. And yet, of all of the, the most moving images that come to my mind of what it means to be impoverished and to receive something with gratitude. It is, it is a video that I once saw of Chinese Christians. Now, having lived in China for, for a year, I know for a fact that if you are a Chinese Christian, your government says that your first love must be for the Communist Party. You must not love Jesus more than this. And if you do, there's going to be problems for you. Chinese Christians know that, that every time that they meet together, especially with, with American Christians, Australian Christians, Europeans, that as they are having communion, at any moment they know that that door could be barricaded. And everybody inside that church will be led away to a work camp three or four or five years at a time refuse good jobs for the rest of their lives, shame brought upon their, their own families because of this. 
And yet here is what swept through these Chinese Christians the very first time that they received their own individual Bibles. If you spend your life never having a Bible of your own, and now all of a sudden you actually have your own Bible, I mean, for, for them living in this kind of a climate, you may as well have handed them a check for a billion dollars. And yet they had been handed something far more costly than even that was. These... These people had been impoverished spiritually, and yet now they are rich. I mean, they are kissing the covers of their Bibles. They are hugging it as if it were, were their grandmother. It is their most treasured possession in this world. And now they are rich. And so what I want to invite us to this morning as we bring this to a close if we, were to, if we were to answer the question, how can we live with peace on earth in a world like this? First, I want us to remember. It's very important for us to remember exactly where we have come from. Because here is where, where we once were in Jesus. We once had been spiritually poor. But now because of Jesus choosing Really, it's the opposite. We were poor. Jesus was rich. But Jesus, in his grace for us, made himself poor so that we could become spiritually rich. And as it is for anybody who receives anything like this, we've got to remember where we came from. As Paul says that, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins that all of you lived in this way, indulging in the desires of your flesh and of the mind, and you're by nature children of wrath, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together in Christ. For by grace, God's kindness, he says, you have been saved. Amen. And this is not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God. And so we need to remember where we've come from, but, but especially, we need to believe this. We need to believe that, that you are insanely, outrageously, ludicrously wealthy in God. You are Jeff Bezos. You are Bill Gates. You are Warren Buffett. I mean, what would this church look like? What would our individual lives as Christians look like if we believe this with every fiber of our being? If we went into a supermarket like Renea Rocha did, 
If we approach giving to other people, like the poorest school in Marion County, Florida, or as the Macedonians had once given, if we treated our Bibles just as Chinese Christians do, and they literally kiss the cover of their Bibles, see, this is what Christmas is all about. This is why Jesus had been born in that manger, because he wanted to bring peace to a world of turmoil. And that's because the greater our poverty is, and the wider our need is, and the larger the lacking, and the deeper our sadness is, when we receive God's grace, really the greater our gratitude is going to be.